This podcast is brought to you by Proton Dealership IT, the cybersecurity and IT experts committed to keeping your dealership safe from cyber attacks. To learn more about how to better protect your dealership, go to info.protontex.com slash fish. That's I-N-F-O.P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, October 17th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, Toyota idles 11 production lines in Japan. Unifor Eyes unionizing Ford and GM JV battery material plants, and Cruise faces a NHTSA probe into pedestrian risk. Plus, Mazda North America CEO Tom Donnelly joins the show to talk about the brand's recent comeback and its plans for electrification. Our focus right now is really on plug-in hybrid as well as hybrids in the near future. We just think it's the right technology for today. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Toyota will partially suspend operations at seven plants in Japan through Wednesday night. The move expands and extends an earlier decision to halt several facilities following an explosion at a component supplier's factory. The blast happened on Monday at a plant that makes vehicle suspension coils for a number of Japanese car makers. The supplier says one employee was hospitalized and another treated for slight injuries. Toyota paused some manufacturing at six plants today, then expanded the order to include 11 production lines across seven facilities. The move is Toyota's biggest domestic production halt since August. That's when the automaker was forced to shut down all 14 of its domestic plants for a day due to a glitch in its manufacturing system. Unifor has set up shop in an emerging Quebec battery hub of Beconcoup, getting an early start on organizing a series of battery materials plants that are scheduled to start opening their doors in 2025. The union that represents more than 35,000 workers at automakers and auto parts suppliers across Canada inaugurated a new office this month in the city, which sits midway between Montreal and Quebec City. It said it chose the location to strengthen its position as a major union force in the region and reinforce its presence close to General Motors and Ford joint venture plants under construction in the Beconcoup Industrial Park. Unifor is the leading organized labor force within Canada's auto sector. The union represents hourly workers at Detroit three plants across Ontario, as well as staff at more than 100 auto suppliers but the union's footprint in Quebec is more limited. It has about 50,000 members across the province, the majority working in sectors with no direct ties to the auto industry. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has opened a probe into whether GM's self-driving unit, Cruise, has taken sufficient precautions with its autonomous vehicles to safeguard pedestrians. NHTSA said its Office of Defects Investigation has received two reports from crews of incidents in which pedestrians were injured and has identified two further incidents through videos posted to public websites. The agency said the reports include crews' autonomous vehicles, quote, 
encroaching on pedestrians present in or entering roadways, including pedestrian crosswalks, in the proximity of the intended path of the vehicles. A spokesperson for Cruz said the company communicates regularly with NHTSA and cooperates with NHTSA on all requests for information. The probe comes just over two weeks after an incident in San Francisco in which a pedestrian was struck by a hit-and-run driver, thrown into an adjacent lane, and hit a second time by a cruise robo-taxi, which was not able to stop in time. And Cars.com and its various commercial businesses are now linked under the name Cars Commerce. It's a new brand and connected technology platform designed to bring all of them together. The company says the setup is intended to let users access a streamlined and interconnected product portfolio divided among marketplace, digital experience, trade and appraisal, and media operations. Cars.com launched 25 years ago and remains the company's flagship operation. It continues as Cars Commerce's dominant brand and the car stock ticker remains in place. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Toyota with another halt in the last three months. How much do you think this will affect their production goal? It looks like it's going to be a pretty short uh, outage, a pretty short stoppage of production. Uh, so even though it's over quite a number of plants, it hopefully the, the impact would be pretty minimal. And of course, we're still kind of midway into Toyota's fiscal year. They've got until the end of March. So uh, plenty of time to make up for lost production. You know, with such a large operation, so many suppliers, there are going to be uh, hiccups and setbacks along the way. Uh, being able to flex up with some overtime to make up for it, that's sort of built into the plan. Gotcha. Coming up, Mazda North America CEO Tom Donnelly joins the show. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Email phishing happens every day. Cyber criminals are out to trick your employees and coworkers into handing over valuable information that can compromise your dealership through impersonations, fake giveaways, and urgent emergency requests. All it takes is one click to shut down everything. Phishing is the leading cybersecurity concern for dealerships. Without the proper training and protection, your business is left vulnerable to ever-evolving attacks. One day you click an email, and the next thing you know, you get a call from your IT guy. Your email has been compromised, shut down immediately. Stories of attacks and their consequences come flooding in every day. 
and all it takes is one click to shut down your dealership. You have enough to worry about as it is. Don't add getting hacked to the list. Let Proton Dealership IT help ensure you are fully protected and learn how at info.protontext.com slash fish. That's I-N-F-O dot P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Mazda has gone through a number of evolutions, some might say identity crises, throughout its history. Now it's seeing some of the biggest growth in the auto industry after some major changes to its designs, its retail strategies, and the segments it's competing in. Mazda North America CEO Tom Donnelly visited our offices in Detroit this morning. We spoke about the company's hot streak and where it goes from here. Tom Donnelly, welcome to Daily Drive. Jerry, thank you very much for having us. We're so glad to have you here at Crane Communications headquarters. My pleasure. So, gosh, as long as I can remember, Mazda has kind of struggled to find its place. It's been uh, small enough and, you know, fun to drive that it kind of seemed like a wanted to be a premium brand, wanted to be a little exclusive, uh, but didn't have the pricing power. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've kind of really gone through quite a change in the last few years. No question. And you're right. Historically, the way that the brand was viewed in the marketplace and our business results were just there. And over the last, I'd say, four to five years, we've really undertaken a transformation of the way that our brand is perceived, the business results that we've been able to achieve. And it was really a multi-staged effort where we focused on how we went to market with our dealer partners, uh, inclusive of the environment and the experience that they provided. Uh, Retail evolution has been transformative for us in terms of the experience our customers receive, the image that we're viewed in the marketplace, and it has really led to some very positive outcomes for us as a brand. We're continuing to work on our brand and our brand image in the marketplace because you're right, the products that we offer now are very different from the products that we offered years ago. Retail Evolution is your dealership image. upgrade image right. image uh, program. And I remember when that was being rolled out, hearing some pushback from dealers, you know, digital retail had become so important uh, that some of them were saying, why should I spend $5 million, mm-hmm. $10 million or more on a facility when I'm trying to do my transactions online? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've actually gotten quite a bit of buy-in from it. Yeah, we're really pleased with the level of adoption that our dealer partners and, and the value that they see in retail evolution. So you're right. Our business is evolving every day, right? Mm-hmm. The What we expect, how we go to market, the way that our customers want to do business, both from a sales and service perspective. Mm-hmm. But what's great about retail evolution is it is an environment where it's open, it is bright, it is. It creates a very comfortable place for customers. And what we're finding is that our customers are spending time in the dealership. Hmm. So whether it's service waiters, they're, they're spending hours in the store because they feel both the technology and the experience overall is something that they desire. And in terms of our dealers' interest, right now we have more than three quarters of our dealers who are enrolled in Retail Evolution. It is generating 90 plus percent of our sales volume and service experiences are now through Retail Evolution facilities. I think one of the things we've kind of learned through the last five years and even during the pandemic was 
as much as we want to shop from home and mm -hmm. we want the ability to shop from anywhere with, uh, you know, online, getting your hands on the car. And most people want at least an omni-channel, if not no an entirely in-person experience. Right. Yeah. And, and we're working very closely with our dealer partners on providing exactly that. I wouldn't say I would say that we're among the leaders in the industry in terms of how we're approaching digital retail and ensuring that we are providing a very sophisticated, elevated purchase and shopping experience. Similarly, our network is very leading edge in terms of a digital service experience yeah. that is very transparent and increases the speed of the overall process as well for our customers. So our dealers have been very receptive and in some cases pressing us to push further into providing that omni-channel elevated experience mm. that the customers today de demand. So much of the industry's focus these days is on electric vehicles. No uh, there is not an electric Mazda in the market right now, Currently. but you have one coming uh, coming soon. Yes. and and. Maybe a point of clarification. So earlier this year, we introduced our first plug-in hybrid with the CX-90. Um, very shortly, it'd be followed by the CX-70 plug-in hybrid. Our, our focus right now is really on um, th that technology, plug-in hybrid, as well as hybrids in the near future. We just think it's the right technology for today. Mm -hmm. Look, there's no question, and we are committed to an electrified future. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the level of adoption and what that pace will be, we're focused on the here and now and optimizing that. Again, we have committed and we'll be introducing a battery electric product in the not too distant future here within about 18 months or so. And by 2030, we've committed that we will have a full lineup of electrified options. Plug-in hybrids for so much of the country, either people who don't have their own garage or people in you know, the Midwest or the South where there's not a lot of available public charging, mm -hmm. it, can really reduce their carbon output uh, and their gas bill um, mm -hmm. without really changing a lot of their lifestyle. Yes. And we've been really, I wouldn't say pleasantly surprised, but certainly pleased with the receptivity to our, our plug-in hybrid. Um, we had a certain internal goal and expectation of what proportion of our overall, and we're actually, the market demand is much higher than we anticipated. Mm. So we're making some adjustments uh, as much as possible in terms of future production and availability, things like that. But you're right. And even more so in areas like the Midwest and the South, the, the level of interest in PHEV and, and specifically our CX-90 plug-in hybrid has far exceeded what we originally projected. So we're very obviously pleased with where we are on that and optimistic about the future product pipeline that we'll be introducing in the not too distant future. So when I came to Detroit uh, mm -hmm. in 2000, uh, Mazda was affiliated with Ford. Of course, Ford restructured dramatically mm -hmm. during the Great Recession. And now Toyota is the partner with Mazda. How has- Dif Different scale, but yes. Different yeah, scale, yeah, yeah, very yeah. different yeah. relationship. How, is, how has that been? What's the relationship been like? How has Mazda benefited from partnering with Toyota? Well, I would say the most visible here in the US is the relationship that we have with Mazda Financial Services, mm -hmm. who is our finance partner, Toyota Financial Services. Mm -hmm. That has been a very positive experience for both our customers as well as our dealer partners as well. They give very favorable evaluations to the level of service and support that Mazda Financial Services has provided. You know, again, a very different time and place of the prior Ford relationship to where right. we are now with Toyota. We operate independently, our product development is independent, but there are other relationships as well, inclusive of 
the joint venture plant that we have in Huntsville, Alabama, MTM, um, where we build our CX-50 and they build the Corolla Cross. So there are definitely areas of partnership that we've been working with Toyota on. But in terms of how we go to market, it is very independent and focused on how we optimize and elevate the Mazda brand. Can you elaborate a little more on the Mazda financial services? What, sure. uh, is the data sharing, what's the secret sauce that makes that work so much better for the dealers? I would say the secret sauce is an alignment around culture and values. Mm -hmm. And not that we didn't expect that, but the degree of a common focus and a common way that we're gonna support our dealer partners, that we're gonna look at the marketplace. Obviously, anytime you enter a new relationship, you're a little bit um, uncertain about things. But to us, there's been a lot of specific areas. You mentioned data sharing where we're partnering with them on. But I would say the just the overall alignment around how we want to service and support our dealer partners and how we're going to succeed. It's really a one voice, one mindset approach that I don't know that we didn't expect that we would eventually get there, but the degree and the pace that we've gotten there already. And another point that I'd make is we onboarded Mazda Financial Services or they became our partner of record in April of 2020 under the most <laughs> challenging of times. So to accomplish what they've been able to accomplish mm -hmm. in this time frame is really quite remarkable. You mentioned 2025 as your first mm -hmm. uh, pure BEV mm -hmm. uh, coming out. You have a number of um, interesting, aggressive uh, operational targets for 2025. I saw, I was at, uh, you know, a thousand vehicle sales per mm -hmm. store on average, and even mm -hmm. more for those with the uh, yeah. uh, retail evolution. Tell me about 2025. What's the sure. important market? Yeah. Here? So, you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier today, we're really pleased with the growth we've experienced over the last three to four years, but by no means are we done yet or declaring victory. We have some very aggressive growth targets through 2025 with a focus on continuing to improve our dealer throughput, where a thousand units and upwards of, let's say, 12 to 1300 units in larger metro areas. The approach we've taken to growing our business hasn't been adding numerous dealer points. It's really been focusing on driving additional throughput with our dealer stores and dealer partners and focused on improving our overall retention and loyalty. We think that leads to just a healthier business for us as well as our dealer partners. But given the overall investments we've made in the plant here in the US market, upgrading our, our dealer facilities with our dealer partners, I mean, these are multi-billion dollar investments that we've made here in the US market. And again, the trajectory we've been on the last couple of years, but the expectations we have through 2025 is continued growth and really confident in our growth plans. Tom Donnelly, thank you so much for joining me today. All right, Jamie, thank you very much for the opportunity. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Mark Homer for his reporting on today's podcast. We also have reporting from David Kennedy of our sibling publication, Automotive News Canada. You can get the latest news on manufacturing, labor negotiations, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Texas A&M Transportation Institute Director Greg Winfrey about the state of the autonomous vehicle segment in the U.S. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.